Father, we ask that you'd bless this study as we're going through the minor prophets. Again, these books that get ignored so much. And, and Lord, there is a central theme. There's a theme of turning back to the Lord. Uh, but also, we see in the midst of it, there's words of encouragement. There are words of hope. There's application that we can make as Christians. Because we can find ourselves like the prophet here that's just wrestling with things and wondering. And I think that those who are listening tonight, uh, that uh, many are, are going through that wrestling process and wondering, and what are you know the days ahead for the new year going to hold, and what's going to happen next? But Lord, there is an answer for us and how we respond, just like Habakkuk received that answer from you. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us be attentive. I thank you for those who have joined us online tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Habakkuk, this minor prophet, or Habakkuk, uh, is only three chapters long. So we're going to cover all of it. And he uh, is ministering right before the captivity of Judah would begin. Of course, you know historically, as we went through the books of particularly Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, that the southern tribes, the two uh, tribes that made up the house of Judah, Judah and Benjamin, that they would go off into captivity by the Babylonians beginning in 605 B.C. That began the 70 years of captivity. And Habakkuk is on the scene right before that. His name means one who embraces. He was one of the last prophets on the scene before the Babylonian captivity of Judah. It is believed that he would write this book around 609 B.C. is what some have suggested, uh, right before Babylon came into Jerusalem and then would take the choice men of, of Judah away into captivity. And we know that Habakkuk here, that he's ministering during the time that Jeremiah was on the scene and he was ministering as well there in Jerusalem. It would be later when the captivity began in 605 B.C. that Daniel was ministering. And then after that, it was Ezekiel that began to minister when he went off in the captivity. So it's that time frame that we see that has taken place. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's the emperor during this time uh, that Habakkuk uh, is writing this book. Is he, he's prophesying. And the emperor is getting stronger. Uh, they had just overthrown the Assyrians, who we've talked about over the last few books. Uh, Nahum, who would speak of the judgment that would come to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrians. But the prophet writes about uh, this coming invasion and captivity of Judah. And what makes the book so applicable to you and to me today is that in chapter 1, we're going to see that the prophet here, he's wrestling. He's really wondering why is this happening, and why are you working in this way, Lord? And in chapter 2, then he's waiting. He's waiting for the Lord to minister to him. And in chapter 3, we see that he ends up worshiping and rejoicing. And it's a good book for any of us who at uh, times, and maybe you're in that time right now, that you're wondering, Lord, why? And why are these things happening? Why are these things taking place? Because he is going to remind us how important it is 
that we as Christians are to wait. And then as we do wait, the Lord ministering to us, then we begin to worship and become strengthened. And one of the things that's very difficult for us as Christians to do is to wait on the Lord. Whatever challenge we're going through or wondering and wrestling that we're going through or whatever the case may be that brings hard times for us, that to wait on the Lord because we live in an instant world. We live in a world where we want answers right away. We want uh, the Lord to work right away. And in our spiritual lives, as we go through the scriptures, we are told that we are to wait. We saw, see that in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30, as we wait on the Lord. He will be good to us. He'll speak to us. We know that um, he'll strengthen us from Isaiah as well. And, and we know from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, as we wait on him, he'll be gracious to us. So it's important for us to wait on the Lord. And I know that as I go through the Psalms, David would speak at that time that he was troubled. He was very heavy in his heart. He was going through tremendous difficulties, and he ended up waiting on the Lord. He says, my soul will wait for you, Lord. And we see that in the Psalms. And it's important for us in our spiritual lives to wait on the Lord, because if we don't, what happens is we begin to move out on our own understanding, and we begin to move out um, in our own way. And when the Lord is saying, I want you to wait, Uh, I want you to wait on me, and I will answer you, and I will minister to you, and I will strengthen you. So Habakkuk has been called the Doubting Thomas of the Old Testament. We don't know much about the prophet here personally. It's been suggested that perhaps he was a priest because of the last verse we're going to read. He writes to the chief singer on my string instruments, and that was the priest that would often write the songs and play the instruments. So perhaps he's called from the priestly ministry to the prophetic ministry like Jeremiah was. Remember Jeremiah, that he was a priest from a priestly family. And Habakkuk would minister at the time that Josiah, who became king at the age of eight years old, Josiah was the last of the godly kings of Judah that came on the scene before the captivity. And it would be later on in his life, Josiah, that as he orders that the temple is to be Uh, repaired. It's to be cleaned up. Before him, uh, we know that uh, the kings of Judah uh, trashed out the temple. They brought in idols. And Josiah comes on the scene, and he says, we're going to clean all that up. And as they do, this is what's amazing. As you read the historical books of Josiah in 2 Chronicles and also in 2 Kings, that they found a copy of the book of the law in the corner, and they blew the dust off of it, and they raided uh, read it to Josiah, and as they were reading it, Josiah was so quickened in his heart, he tore his, his you know, uh, garments, his robe, and he said, that's so wonder we're going through difficulty. We've transgressed against the Lord. That's what the Word of God should do. It should really quicken our hearts. It should touch our hearts um, and convict our hearts, and that's what happened to Josiah. But what amazes me is he, he had not had the Word of God that was read to him, the book of the law. They found a copy in the corner. That's how far away they had gotten from the word of God. So as it is read to him, he calls for a national revival. He calls for reforms, and he instituted the feast once again. He called for the Levites to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into the Holy of Holies. He instituted Passover once again. And as he's calling for the spiritual revival, Really what happened is that there were reforms. 
And we have talked about it, particularly as we went through the book of Jeremiah, that Jeremiah says, listen, that you guys are all believing in pretense. In other words, they were just going through the motions. And as Josiah had made these decrees that we're going to do these things, uh, the hearts of the people, many of them, were still towards the idols. Because what happens about this time when uh, Josiah ends up getting killed by Pharaoh, the, or the king of Egypt, he's passing through there in the valley of Megiddo up north, and Josiah, for whatever reason, even though he was warned, goes and interferes. He's going to try to stop the king of Egypt. Even though the king of Egypt was not threatening Judah or him, he goes up there and he ends up getting killed. And Jeremiah grieved for Josiah. And then his sons, the last four kings, three of his sons become kings. One is a grandson, I believe. But they were all evil kings. They plunged the nation right back into idol worship. And Zedekiah, who was the last king for the last 11 years, rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar till finally the third invasion and deportation of the Jews in 586 B.C. and the destruction of the temple would come. So Josiah, even though there was reforms that came, there wasn't real revival. And that's why real revival comes, listen, when in our hearts we give our hearts to the Lord. It's more than just reforms that take place but it is real revival and changing our hearts and so here is is Habakkuk he's seeing all this that's going on around him and let's begin to read the book as the burden in which the prophet Habakkuk saw oh lord how long shall I cry and you will not hear even cry out to you violence and you will not save so he has a complaint he begins to cry out to the lord And in the honesty of our hearts, we can cry out to the Lord. Um, David would say, when my heart is overwhelmed, I cry out to you, O Lord. And as he does that here, he he is saying, how long? Uh, How long? And as we come to him in the honesty of our hearts, he desires for us to come with the honesty of heart, but also in humility of heart. And he says violence. And as we continue reading, there is violence in the land. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? Verse 3, for plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. I see violence. I see injustice. I see contention around me. Don't you see it, Lord? Aren't you going to do something about it? And again, we can feel that way. Perhaps we're feeling that way as well. Uh, Many people that I know, Christians, they see what's going on in our nation around us, and we get so upset, we get so uh, mad, we get uh, angry, all these things, concern, and it is politically, we see economically, uh, culturally, all these things that really weigh on us, and we say, why, Lord? Here we know that in Judah, and we've seen that, that this was a condition of the house of Israel up north before they were taken off into captivity, that there was violence, there was greediness, there was a lot of problems that were taking place, and they were given over to idols, and they were not listening to the prophets of God. So he is saying here, you know, don't you see, Lord? And as we feel this way, we can call out to the Lord and we can give it to him and ask him to minister to us. And as we also know that there are those, uh, in verse 4 he says, Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, uh, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. 
So he, as he is given the condition of Judah here, he is saying all this has taken place, the injustice, the corruption, and how long is this going to go? The wicked surround the righteous. So he's wrestling. That's what I said in chapter 1. As we see that he's wrestling with this, he's wondering just like we can in our lives. In verse 5, the Lord replies to him, Look among the nations and watch and be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. So the Lord responds to this complaint of Habakkuk. I am working. And that, I have that underlined. It really hit me this morning. When I was looking at this once again, he said, for I will work a work in your days. And I highlighted that because it's true for us. And as we see what's going on around us in the condition of our culture and our nation and in, you know, injustice or perversity, calling evil good and good evil, all these things that we see. On Sunday, we talked about how Paul writes in the last days it will be perilous times. And the characteristics of men, this misdirected love and loving self and being greedy and corrupt minds and counterfeits that are on the scene and evil men and impostors are going to grow worse and worse. And we see that. It seems like it's getting worse. And we see the direction of our country that is getting away further from the Lord. We, we see all the things that concern us and as we do, we need to remember this as Christians, that he is working. And maybe as we bring it home closer to you, maybe you personally uh, have some things around you that are taking place. Maybe families coming against you, upheaval in your family, maybe friends, uh, whatever the case may be, at work, with your business. Know this, that whatever it is that you are wrestling with, maybe with your health, maybe finances, that the Lord says that I am working. And he says here that I am working. I will work a work in your days which you would not believe. And I just felt the Lord speak that to me, that in this new year, he is working. And his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. Remember Isaiah chapter 55. He says, the Lord, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And the Lord proceeds in telling them what it is that he's going to do to deal with the nation as we continue here in verse 6. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. This is coming from the Lord. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. The horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar, verse 8 tells us. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. And then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. Uh, you think I'm indifferent, Habakkuk? Do you think I don't know what the Chaldeans are like? Sometimes we say, Lord, why don't you deal with them? Or why don't you deal with this? Or that person who's coming against me? Uh, don't you see what they're doing? The Lord does see. He knows what they're like. And here he's telling Habakkuk, the prophet, that I know what they're like. They're terrible and they're dreadful. And they come 
in, in great power and uh, they come charging ahead and they're fierce and all of this. He describes the Chaldeans. It's not a surprise to the Lord. The Lord's not going, boy, I'm glad that you're praying to me, Habakkuk, because I had no idea that, you know, that Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans, the Babylonian Empire, was so terrible. He says, I know. I'm working. I'm working to work. You may not understand it. And I know that the Chaldeans are very terrible. And uh, he says that they're strong. In verse 11, as we read it, then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. I think he's speaking of Nebuchadnezzar here. Nebuchadnezzar, full of pride, uh, he ascribes this power to his God, the Babylonian gods, he would, you know, do it for himself. You know, he would, in book of Daniel, he said, look at this wonderful city Babylon that I built. I'm so wonderful. And so God, of course, would break him. And we will see that when we go through the book of Daniel uh, starting next year. But verse 12, the prophet, he continues asking God, Coming to the Lord, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are pure eyes then to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours? A person more righteous than he? Habakkuk can't believe it. He says, how can you, Lord, you... You are, when he says that, aren't you from everlasting? He, he's not saying, Lord, are you really from everlasting? I mean, I doubt you and all this. Are you really the Holy One? He, he's recognizing, aren't you the, the one that's eternal? You're the Holy One. And I know that you're going to judge wickedness. And that would include the Chaldeans. So why are you using them is what he's saying. How can you use the Babylonians who are more wicked than us to judge your own people? How can you use them as an instrument to judge us? And we can do the same thing. Lord, how can you put that person in power? Your word says in Romans chapter 13 that you are the one that appoint those, you know, and in, in, in put those in positions of leadership. That the governing authorities, you appoint those. And you're the one that does it for your purposes. Why would you do that? Because God has an eternal purpose. Or why would you use them in my life to, to be a problem? Or Lord, why is this going on? Don't you see they're wicked? Don't you know uh, that this is wrong and you're a holy God? So we can ask the same things. We can wrestle with the same things. And then why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have not rule, no ruler over them? Verse 15, they take up all of them with a the hook. They catch them with their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. The Babylonians are like fishermen that... They cast their nets, and they, they catch fish. They're going to be casting their nets as they come into Judah and into that area of the Middle East, and they're going to be like fishers that cast their net, and they're going to be catching and ensnaring people to overflowing. They worship and they burn incense to their pagan gods. They're going to continue to do this, and it seems like they're getting away with it. Do you ever feel that way? That person is 
talking about me and gossiping about me or coming against me or saying things about me. and They're doing wickedly. They're being dishonest. Why does it seem like they're, they're getting away with it? Listen, no one's getting away with anything. And we can certainly feel that way. But God is just. And God sees what's going on. And no one's getting away with anything. Yes, it brings hurt to us. And we need wisdom and discernment to, to deal with those things. I'm not saying that we're to be a doormat, to be walked on by people. But the question was asked by, that, by Asaph in chapter 73. And as you read Psalm 73, Asaph is saying, why does the wicked seem like they're benefiting and the righteous don't? And he said, it was too hard for me, too hard for me to even to bear it and to think about it. But then I went into the sanctuary as you read that psalm. And whenever you're wrestling, Habakkuk is a good book to read to remind us that God sees and that God is working. I will do a work in Psalm 73 as Asaph is saying that I went into the sanctuary and I began to understand that their ways are going to come to an end. And no one's getting away with anything. And God is perfectly just and he will deal with this situation in eternity's perspective and complete righteousness and justice. And it may not be according to us. We're praying those, you know, impractatory prayers like David. Lord, knock out their teeth. Drop a bus on them. But here he's wrestling. He's really wrestling as you see as we just went through. And uh, why do they continue uh, to do this? They have plenty. It seems like they're being blessed in all of this. Well, chapter 2 we read that I will stand my watch and set myself on a rampart to, to watch and see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. I really like this. After wrestling, after crying out to the Lord, after wondering, he begins to say, Lord, I'm going to stand my watch. I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait. He doesn't demand uh, he says, I'm going to set myself on the rampart. I'm going into my tower, and I'm going to wait on you, Lord, what you will say, and when you correct me. I think that some of us have been in that place, and I know that I have. Even over the last couple years, as dealing with the pandemic and other things, that I begin to complain, I wonder, I... I Murmur, I, all of this, and then it's like, Lord, I'm going to seek you because I know you're going to correct me. And I have no reason to complain about my lot or what's going on against you. I know you see, and Lord, I'm going to wait on you for you to strengthen me, bring comfort to me, and Lord, to humble myself and, and to, to wait to see what word you have for me. That's the right attitude. What happens so oftentimes in our lives when we're wrestling and, and wondering is we get in a big rush and out the door we go. Remember Jeremiah 29 verse 11? It's a very popular verse that, that a lot of us have memorized. I know my thoughts toward you, says the Lord, that thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. But the Lord went on to say to Jeremiah that you shall seek me and find me when you search me with all of your heart. So when we seek the Lord, know that he will answer us. We will find him. He desires to minister to us. I already mentioned Isaiah chapter 30. I mentioned this oftentimes that Isaiah is, you know, um, there um, in that chapter, the Lord is saying to the children of Israel 
that why do you seek counsel but not of me? And in telling them to return to him and to wait on him. So you go to him, you wait on him, and as you wait on him, that he is going to be good. He's going to be gracious to you. And then he promises that you will hear from him. And I think that's such an important reminder. He says, I will be a voice behind you saying, this is the way, go to the left, go to the right. But it takes that time of waiting on the Lord. And we know that uh, as we go through life, there are those times where we need to really seek him, stop. And maybe this Christmas, maybe this Christmas that you're wondering and you're wrestling and you're thinking, Lord, don't you see, don't you know? And we are to humble ourselves and say, I'm going to wait on you, Lord. And I'm going to go into my place, my tower, whatever that might be. And I just want to seek you this Christmas season and as we head into the new year. And I've realized how important it is for me even to do that. I get so busy and there's services that need to be done and, and studying that needs to be done and everything else that's on top of it. Not only that, here in the ministry, but my personal life. And i got to go shopping. i got to do these things. I want to spend time with family. But I also know how important it is for me to spend time with the Lord and to seek Him. And as we continue, then the Lord answered me in verse 2 of chapter 2. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Because it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. So the Lord answered, so take a memo, write it down. It will come to pass in due time. And then in verse 4, behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. I have that underlined. The just shall live by faith. And that is the theme of the book of Romans. That is the theme of the book of Galatians. I remember reading uh, Martin Luther's biography. And Martin Luther, who was so legalistic, did all these things growing up as a, as a monk. And he would whip himself with a whip. He would go through all these things trying to gain the approval of God trying to get God's attention, earn his salvation, all this stuff. To extreme measures, Martin Luther did that. He would uh, sleep outside in the cold without a blanket. All these things that we think, wow, you know, uh, extreme things of, of going, he would go to confession. And finally he was told by the priest that don't come here unless you really have something to confess. And one day he was reading the book of Romans and he read in chapter 1, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul writes, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God is revealed as it is written. And then Paul quotes here from chapter 2 of Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith and he got it. Not that the just shall live by whipping myself and going to confession all the time, and sleeping outside in the cold without a blanket, uh, fasting uh, all the time, all these things. The just shall live by faith. And Paul uses that theme in the book of Galatians as well. And it is also quoted in the book of Hebrews. So it's a major theme that we see in the scriptures. And I know for me that this really ministered to me at a time where I thought I've got to prove my 
allegiance to the Lord. I, I want to earn his favor. And maybe just doing it in a way that, uh, Lord, I'm going to show you that I'm with you, that uh, I love you, I'm worthy of you, uh, to get your attention. And the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And it's so freeing when we make that our own. And that's what Martin Luther did, and of course the great reformer. And as we say, Lord, that I am saved because my faith, the gospel is that I come to you, ask for forgiveness, believe in you, and then I can enjoy you and have a relationship with you and experience that abundant life that you have for me. The just shall live by his faith. And verse 5, as we continue indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he's a proud man and he does not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell and he's like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all people. So the wicked will desire, but they will not be satisfied. Only Jesus satisfied. And please, we need to remember that. We can desire for all kinds of things in the world to make us happy and fulfilled and satisfied. We can enjoy things and they can be a blessing and we're to be thankful, but the ultimate and lasting fulfillment and satisfaction is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? And we know that as we see, we live in a nation that's wealthy, that those who seem to have the, the power, the prestige, the wealth, the fame, all of this, and they're miserable because they don't have the Lord. And if tonight you're thinking, I don't have much of anything materially, you have the Lord, you are so blessed, I'm blessed. And he's the one that brings satisfaction to us and satisfies us in our hearts. And the thing is, if you want to pursue the world and anyone who does that, it's like a fire, a fire that just wants more fuel to burn. It wants more oxygen to, to heat up the fire. Uh, it never satisfies. Only Jesus satisfies. And as we continue reading verse 6 of the chapter, will not all these take up a proverb against him and taunting riddle against him and say, woe to him who increases. And, and what is not his, how long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges, Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you? And you will become their booty because you have plundered many nations and all the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. And the first of five woes that we see here are now going to be pronounced against Babylon. And God will deal with them. They plundered. But now uh, I tell you that they are going to be plundered. And, of course, it was the Medo-Persian Empire that ended up overtaking the Babylonian Empire. We read in verse 9, the second woe. Woe to him who covets evil and gains for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You shall give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. So you wonder about uh, the one who covets, and which is actually an awful sin. Uh, evil gain for his house like a nest on high for all to see. Uh, the stones are going to cry out. The beams and the timbers are, are going to give an answer for it. And you're giving shameful counsel to 
to your house is what he says, the second woe. And then the third woe, we read, woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So captives used for the building, those taken in the, uh, to captivity, they were used as slaves for Nebuchadnezzar's empire. And here we know that there's a mention in verse 14 of the nations worry themselves in vain. It's going to be partly what we're going to talk about on New Year's Eve. The nations rage. The nations exalt themselves and come against the Lord in the counsel of the Lord. It's going to come to nothing because the Lord's going to come and establish his kingdom. And when he does, uh, knowledge of the glory of the Lord uh, will fill the earth as waters cover the sea. Isaiah would write the same thing. So there, you know, Isaiah was before Habakkuk. And he says when the Lord comes back, he writes about how knowledge is going to cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And Habakkuk uh, picks that up and he says the same thing when the Lord comes back. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is going to come to an end. And we see that in Daniel chapter 2, that your kingdom is going to come an end and the Medo-Persian Empire is going to come, but they will be taken by, over by the Greeks and then the Roman Empire that will come and then the revived Roman Empire. And that man's kingdom, that image in chapter 2, is hit by the rock, and God's kingdom is the one that's going to stand. And verse 15, Woe to him, give strength to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink, and be exposed to the uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, and utter shame will be on your glory. Verse 17, For the violence done to you, Lebanon will cover you, and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood and the violence of the land and of the city and all who dwell in it. The fourth woe, encouraging others to sin, woe to you is what he says uh, as you do that. And then in verse 18, what prophet is the image? What his maker should carve it? The molding image, a teacher of lies that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make him mute idols. Uh, the, the, as we read this, uh, going into the fifth woe in verse 19, woe to him who says to wood awake and silent stone, arise it shall teach. Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. So the fifth woe deals with idolatry, verses 18 and 19. God's saying, Habakkuk, I, I know about the Babylonians. I know about these carved images that the house of Judah has been worshiping and the Babylonians worship. Uh, they're made of wood, they're made of stone. There's no breath in them. Even though they're overlaid with gold and silver, they're in nothing. And as we read in verse 20, but the Lord in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. So he is in his temple, speaking of the presence of the Lord, and the Lord is on his throne. Remember this, he's on his throne, he's in control and that righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. You live by faith. You and I are to live by faith that his word is true, and everything's coming to where his kingdom's going to be established. Not the kingdoms of the world, but his kingdom. And at that time, righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. His knowledge will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. 
that the Lord has an eternal purpose and he is in control. He's still on the throne, even though we think everything's unraveling around us. I mean, the things that we have seen is really uh, has been intense the last couple of years. Pandemic and tornadoes that went through the Midwest this week, drought, upheaval, political unrest, what we're seeing, the violence in our cities. But here's the thing. The Lord is in control. And you and I are to live by faith and to remember God's word and to know that his word is true and that he has a wonderful plan for you and for me. So chapter 3, we see that the prophet begins to, to just pray and to rejoice. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet of Shigaonath, O Lord, I have heard your speech and, and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy here. I've heard your word. I understand. O Lord, revive your work. Or let your work be done. Remembering mercy, O Lord. He's in a place, the prophet here, of worshiping and trusting. And we are to do the same thing. I know that you're working, Lord. I, I know. I pray for mercy. I pray for your grace. But I know you're working. And in verse 3, God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. And his brightness was like the light and had rays flashing from his hand. And, and there his power was hidden. As we read here, Habakkuk given a vision of God in his glory. Some suggest a picture of Jesus coming in great glory. We know that in the Olivet Discourse, remember Jesus said, When I come back, it will light, be like lightning flashing from the east to the west. And he comes... And he's going to come to where every eye will see him. And then he will set everything right and everything straight. And he will establish his kingdom. And as we continue in verse 5, Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth and looked and startled the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered and perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kashan in affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian trembled. So God will pour out his judgment on those nations that rejected him. And then in verse 8, O Lord, you were displeased with the rivers. Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow, bow, that is, was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted his hands on high. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. In the light of your arrows they went, in the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked. And by laying bare from foundation to neck, you thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. The rejoicing was like the feasting of the poor in secret. And in verse 15, you walked through the sea with your horses through the heap of great waters. Continued vision, and you see God is revealing the future that Habakkuk might be renewed in the present. To have peace in the present. You see, as we remember what the Lord is going to do, that in the future, that he's going to restore his kingdom, it gives us peace in the present right now, knowing that his word is going to be true. And we need to remember what God has done for us 
that he has saved us and what he will do for us in the future. And as we remember the past, Jesus went to the cross. And as we come to him and he's forgiven us, given us a new heart, as we think about the future, that he is going to take us to heaven and establish his kingdom and we're going to rule and reign with him. What does it do? It gives us peace in the present. And I don't know about you, but I need that. I need that in this new year that we are in, in this Christmas season, that peace that passes understanding. And to know, as we read in verse, uh, early in chapter 1, that is, uh, of this book, and uh, as we were looking uh, at it, that he is working in verse 5 of the chapter, chapter 1. That the Lord says, I will work, and he's still working. And as we read in verse 16, when I heard my body tremble, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself. That I might rest in the day of trouble when he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. First the prophet said, Lord, do something. And the Lord answered now, and he says, that I tremble when I see what you will do, as the prophet says, I know you're going to work. I tremble in myself that, Lord, you are going to come. And though the fig tree may not blossom as we finish the book, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flocks may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. And the Lord is my strength, and he will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. I love these verses here. Even though my country is going to be devastated, the flocks are going to be cut off, uh, I may have nothing in the field and no herds in the stall. And today maybe it's like, Lord, my stocks are going to crash. You know, I don't know if I'll be able to keep my house. But whatever is going on, I will rejoice in you and I will join the God of my salvation. I love that. Because you are my salvation, Lord, and you're my strength. I can't help but think about Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the mountains, you know, be carried in the midst of the sea and the earth be moved, that, Lord, you are my help. And you are my strength. You're not only my help and my provider, and you're my joy, but you're my strength. And you're going to meet make my feet like deer's feet. I think all of us have seen deer in this part of the country, how they bounce, and they're amazing how they travel through the terrain. And he'll make me walk on my high hills because, Lord, you are my strength. And one day we will be on the mountaintop, the mountain of the Lord when he comes and establishes his kingdom. So, Lord, we thank you for this book. And I pray that, that as we wrestle with things that we learn from the prophet here, to just wait on you, to believe in your word, to know that you are working. And Lord, uh, just help us to, to have that peace in the present because of what you have done in saving us. Going to the cross, we've come to you in faith, but Lord, knowing in the future that you have a wonderful plan for us. The nations of the world are not going to stand, but your kingdom's going to stand. And as we remember that, that we have peace in the present. Give us peace. Those things that are talked about this Christmas season, peace, goodwill towards man, joy to the world, all this, it only comes from you, fulfillment and satisfaction, and knowing you. 
So, Lord, I thank you for these reminders. I pray you bless everyone here. The rest of our week, looking forward to, to Christmas coming up soon and the new year and together just rejoicing in you and celebrating the birth of Jesus. Bless everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday.